Welcome to the Tideline Talks podcast, where we discuss all things related to sports medicine, health and wellness. We dispel common myths and misconceptions regarding healthcare, and we do it in a way that's easy to understand. It's hosted by yours truly, Dr. Michael Slafani, founder of Tideline Sports Performance and Rehabilitation. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Tideline Talks podcast. Um, it's Brandon. I'm the office manager and performance coach here at the practice. Um, back for another interview episode today. Um, today's episode is going to be a little bit different than some of the other episodes that we've done. Um, I have Alex Nita, who <laughs> Alex Nita, which I pronounced that wrong three times, but we got it right now. Um, I have Alex here and Alex works with uh, people who are similar to me, uh, who are neurodivergent, um, you know, who have autism, ADHD, some other conditions as well. Um, so today's podcast is going to be kind of centered around, you know, autism, ADHD, neurodivergence, you know, what that means, um, what those people are like, how you can help them, and uh, also, you know, transitioning it into uh, strength and fitness and how beneficial that is for people who are neurodivergent like myself. Um, obviously, the weight room has been something that saved my life. So, um, very near and dear topic to my heart today. Um, with that all said, welcome to the podcast, Alex. Why don't you, um, give the listeners a little bit more background as to exactly what you do and what neurodivergent means. Awesome. Very excited to be here. So, um, first off, uh, I've been working with individuals, uh, that are neurodivergent and when we talk about that term neurodivergent, um, it means that the brain, functions differently than it typically would. Um, I don't like to use the word special needs. Um, a lot of times when people are like, oh, you work with individuals with special needs. But because we work in more of a clinical setting when it comes to working with individuals that are neurodivergent, I like to use that term just because it makes more sense to what uh, we're doing. Um, the I really like that term though. And like prior to this podcast, honestly, I was like, I'm back and forth in my head about it, but if you have to describe a classification of people, mm -hmm. I feel like neurodivergence much better than special needs. And the reason being for that is because when I hear special needs, it makes it seem as though my needs are not okay and not normal. And that is not okay. Like right. just because my needs are different than somebody else doesn't mean that they're special. Right. And the other issue I think when, people want to label th people as special needs is they almost like treat them as if they're like children. Like they almost like have to talk, yeah, you exactly. know, differently to them. And that's the one thing we'll definitely dive into is that just because someone has autism, um, let's say it doesn't mean that they don't understand exactly what you're saying, especially with uh, my nonverbal clients I've had over the years. Um, one of my biggest pet peeves is when people would come up to them and talk to them like they were babies. And, you know, they would, you know, some of them would be uh, 25 years old. They're adults, they're, they're grown adults and people are talking to them like they're little kids. And I could tell uh, that they hated it. Uh, I had one client in Georgia, he was uh, 21 at the time. And we had a teacher there that would like baby talk him and his face would change. You could tell he hated it. And um, during the conversation, I actually kind of had to pause the conversation. I was, like, I was like, hey, buddy, do you like it how she's talking to you? And he would say, no, like straight up, no. 
And I was like, okay, That's well, we yeah. I mean, it's this hard no. And yeah. He was minimally verbal, but you know, he definitely will tell you if he likes something or not. And um, so, you know, I was like, hey, you know, you want to be talked to like your age, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, hey, do you hear what he's saying? And she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, you know. And then, you know, she changed her tone of voice and instantly he started smiling. Because again, you know, just because someone has autism or any other developmental disability doesn't mean that they don't have the same feelings and emotions that anyone who's neurotypical has. And that's the one thing I definitely try to advocate for is, you know, they want to be, or even myself who has ADHD, we want to be treated like anybody else. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you feel the same way. You know, you don't want to be labeled. You know, we, we accept our diagnosis. We accept that our brains function differently. And then we have to do things to kind of help us be successful in the world. I'm still working on that. I mean, the acceptance part, man, is so hard for me because, um, like, I just, I so don't want to be like this, you know, like deep down, like it yeah. really, it's so hard for me because like who I am as a person without my disabilities is not who I am with them. Right. And so like, I want to constantly be working hard and doing all of these things that I really want to do, but mm -hmm. I'm constantly held back by my disabilities. And that makes it even worse for me. Cause then I'm at this war with myself on the inside. Like, yeah, I want to do this shit. I want to do this shit. This mm -hmm. is so dumb. I can't do this shit. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm still working on that acceptance part. And I think, you know, just hearing you say that and this podcast is helping me with it too. Yeah. But, um, I've gotten myself in a lot of trouble cause I don't accept it. You know, like I push myself to a meltdown because I don't want to admit yeah. that I'm having one. Right. And I will say one thing and, uh, you bring up the term meltdown and a lot of, you know, places I taught in the past, they would say, Oh, so-and-so had a meltdown. And I'll be honest. I actually hate that term meltdown. Um, and again, going back I don't know to, what else to call it because it's becoming dysregulated. It's such a it, weird feeling. It's well, like, it's, it's dysregulation. Yeah. Your body's becoming dysregulated. So you are pretty much leaving the standpoint of homeostasis. So whatever the escalation is or the triggering event, it is causing you to become dysregulated. I just feel like meltdown is such a negative term. It's like, oh, they're having a meltdown. It's like, no, they became dysregulated or they became frustrated or upset. Um, like I said, meltdown is just a harsh word. And I mean, if, feel free to use it. But you know, I, the only reason I use it is because, like I said, I could, part of the way my autism and ADHD and stuff works is like I don't know how to describe things. Like it's hard for me to put words to what I'm feeling, thinking, or seeing. Yeah. And so just the word meltdown to me is like, I'm just melting down because I'm having such a hard time. Right. Well, it's just, it's also like in those moments of challenge, you know, we, you know, I've tried to convey with individuals that I work with is making the mind body connection. Like what is the trigger? What's causing this dysregulation or what's causing me to you know, break homeostasis, you know, is it, you know, again, we talked about like earlier before the cast was uh study conditions, anything that makes challenging behavior more or less likely to occur. So it's like, okay, if it's you're coming to a room and you're becoming dysregulated because it's hot, what do you do? You know, or it's like, Hey, um, you forgot something you needed for your job and now you're upset or frustrated. What, what can we do? Because in that moment, okay, well, we can't go get the thing. 
you know, that's where we kind of have to accept the truth of the day. We like to say mm-hmm. that I don't have whatever it is. It's very frustrating. You know, I can't change that in this moment. So what can I do? Prime example of that is this stupid hat I'm wearing right now. Oh, yeah. So like I have two hats that I always wear. Left yeah. the house without it today. Mm-hmm. Gone to work without my hat. I'm sitting at my desk. Still don't realize I don't have my hat on. I have my sunglasses, but I'm like, why am I so overwhelmed? Why do my eyes hurt? Why do I feel like I'm being attacked? Well, because right. the lights are coming down mm-hmm. and I don't have my hat on. And then I go to find my hat. And I didn't bring it. And I'm like, you said, I'm starting to get dysregulated. I'm like, okay, I don't have my hat. How do I fix this problem? So right. my car, found a different hat. It's not the one I want to wear, but having a hat, is better than not having it. Yeah, like the truth of the day is, okay, I don't have my special hat or whatever you want to call that hat. Okay, so the truth is I don't have that hat, but I do have this hat. So I'm still getting the, I guess you would say like the the input or whatever you need to help keep yourself regulated. Exactly. So, I mean, you know, the big thing with autism and ADHD is we really struggle with being flexible. We like routine. We like things to be a certain way because that helps us with our anxiety. And, and, and that goes for me too, honestly. Like, like right now I'm house sitting for my parents while they're in Germany, which is great because, you know, my parents' house is really nice. They got a pool. I love my parents' dog. Um, you know, I got to drive my, my mom's car right now because my car has no AC. So in this Florida heat, it's just been brutal. It's brutal. So <laughs> driving this little tiny little mini coupe, which is funny because people are like, how do you fit in that? Because I'm, you know, six foot five. You're like eight feet tall. <laughs> so he walked in here. The first thing I said is, hey, Alex, you're tall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I had to drop the seat completely to the floor and then uh, put the seat back. And somehow I, I fit in this car, but I love it. Well, I will say – for years, I drove a 2009 Toyota Yaris. And again, same comments. Like, how do you fit in that thing? I'm like, seats all the way back, seats all the way down, and I make it work. I like the, the regulating thing. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm going to start using in my head a lot more. For me, honestly, dude, staying regulated is a minute-to-minute challenge. Yeah. Like, that's how uh, difficult things are for me. And um, part of it, is obviously the autism ADHD diagnosis. Sure. But to dive a little bit more, you know, into my past is I was misdiagnosed and mistreated since the age of 12 as having bipolar. And yeah. I went into treatment first at like five years old because mm-hmm. that's usually when, you know, problems start to arise. Mm-hmm. And they worked on like a lot of behavioral modification and stuff like that. Yeah you know, got rid of all the things that I would stim with, uh, you know, cause they were like, you can't do that stuff, blah, blah, blah. blah. And then they, you know, diagnosed me as bipolar and they had me on mood stabilizers and anti-seizure medications for extremely long time. Um, up until I was 34 and, you know, I'm 35 now. I was, I was about to ask you how old you are. Yeah. I'm 35 now. And I've been, you know, I've been in treatment and on these medications my whole life. And, nothing ever got better. Like I always still felt worse and worse and worse and worse. And so, you know, I finally reached a point where I'm self-sufficient. You know, I live in Florida, my family's in Virginia. I have my own money. I have my own healthcare, you know, and my family's been in charge of my healthcare, you know, my whole life and Mm -hmm. telling me I'm all of these things that I'm not. And so I decided to go in and get reevaluated myself. Mm -hmm. My family's fighting me about it the whole time. Yeah. And they literally spent, 
like a month and a half of three days a week of mm-hmm. one hour therapy sessions to determine what to test me for. Sure. Then did six hours of testing for autism and ADHD. Mm-hmm. And it turned out I have autism level two, ADHD combined, and I was never bipolar to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> and so the reason I'm going into all of that is, yes, there's like a lot of trauma that makes it hard for me now, but sure. that is nothing compared to the fact that my brain wasn't allowed to develop properly mm-hmm. because of all the medications they put me on improperly and because of all of the things they told me I was that I wasn't and not allowing me to do the things that I innately wanted to do as someone with autism to regulate. And so like I, you know, have all this shit in my head and it's really hard to stay regulated because my brain was never allowed to actually work the right way. And now that I'm 34, it's stuck the way that it is because neuroplasticity is done. And so, well, there's still a chance for the brain to change. Don't ever think the brain can't change because I mean, we, I worked with clients that were, you know, older too. We, I had a client, uh, in Georgia that was like, I think he's like 50 something years old. I mean, the brain can still change as much as, you know, you could be set in your ways. There's, you know, if we actually dive into neuroplasticity, you know, that is the ability for the brain to change and it can still happen at any time. It's just a matter of doing it the right way mm-hmm. and doing the things that will set you up for success. And again, meaning also talking about like having your toolbox of self-regulation intervention strategies, you know, like you said, you know, you wear your hat, it kind of helps you stay regulated. You have your glasses. Um, or it's like, let's say like, you know, if you're going into a place that's unfamiliar, um, what can you do to kind of help ease yourself into those situations? Um, or like if a change in routine does happen, uh, how do we accept that that change has happened and how do we keep ourselves regulated through that change, which can uh, pose a challenge to us? Um, there's all sorts of things that we can do. Cause I mean, I think, you know, again, uh, I'm again, not a doctor, but I, you know, obviously I worked with individuals that, you know, their parents put them on medication and I worked with individuals with, uh, that were on no medication. Um, but the biggest thing at the end of the day is giving the individual the tools to set them up for success. Um, you know, giving the brain or whatever your body needs in those moments, that input, um, because again, there's so many things like, you know, we talked about, uh, I mean, I have worked with clients with, um, a lot of tactile sensitivities. It could be clothes. It could be getting your hair cut smells. I worked with a young kid, like certain smells, he would become just dysregulated full on, like just, I mean, I'm, I'm going to use the term meltdown, even though I said I wouldn't use the term yeah. meltdown, but he would just, it would instantly be a major behavior. Like if some kid next to him was eating something he didn't like, just he would like full on just become upset. And we were had to call him behavior support to support this uh, young man. Um, but we, you know, after a while, we started doing different therapies to kind of help him. So we do these things called smell jars and it kind of helps you build a tolerance for strong smells and sweet smells. So, um, and again, each, um, you know, nostril would be like for a different type of like sense. So like the right side, I believe was for the strong sense and the left side was for a sweet sense. And each one of those nostrils, actually the, the right and the left actually is a different like pathway. So in doing this, it helped him become more regulated and accepting of these different scents that could be deemed unpleasant. Well, it's like controlled chaos. 
right? So it's like you're control, you're helping him in a controlled setting smell things that he might not like and that he doesn't necessarily know what they smell like before. Yeah. And through that, he's able to increase his exposure to it and kind of deal with the feelings and thoughts that he experiences when those triggering smells do happen in yeah. a controlled setting. So then when it's out in the real world and it's a smell that he doesn't like, he now has all this practice and time that he spent dealing with that. Right. Is that kind of like yeah. my own? Mm-hmm. Well, I would say even we do things like for like, let's say like uh taste, for example, like if certain um, things are like salty or sweet, they're hypersensitive to, we would do protocols I, like that. we like, we had like a little Q-tip and we would put uh like salt on it and that would go on the one part of the tongue. And then we did a part with uh sugar and that would be on the part of the tongue. And then when we did with uh, lemon juice, again, you know, like salty, sweet, sour, you know, we're hitting all those receptors. And again, we're, we're training the brain to accept these things. Um, you know, we had kids that would be hypersensitive to touch, like getting their hair cut. Like their parents, like, I can't get my kid to get his hair we cut. We chatted about that about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had a thing where it's called like haircut protocol. And they would like, we would pretty much literally just like take like our hands, you know, again, once we've built a, a sense of rapport with that individual. Um, and then we had these little like uh, binder clips or whatever you want to call them. like, And we would just, you know, click them. Not touching the hair, but like that sound kind of simulating, you know, simulates a pair of scissors. So you're preparing them for these things or it's like, um, you know, or let's say we, we worked with clients that uh, didn't like to wear socks because that tactile sensation, the feeling of the, the cotton made them dysregulated. I'm right there with you. So I mean, I don't like socks either, but to help us become comfortable wearing socks, we would do little things. We'd be like, okay, we're going to put our socks on. We're going to wear it for, it might start up at 10 seconds. You know, count to 10. Okay, done. Like the socks on. Good job. And then slowly we would increase that duration um, as they become more comfortable with it. I'm really happy to hear that this is stuff that you've done and that people who have autism and struggles go through this type of treatment because that was not the case for me. Well, you know, like growing up with my, my socks, my family would literally sit there screaming at me for not wanting to wear socks and then ground me because I'm being difficult about my socks. Yeah. And then what does that do? That just further reinforces my sensory issues with socks. Because not only do I have a dysregulation by wearing them, but now I'm getting screamed at by people and told I'm wrong. Yeah. And then it's like, you know what I mean? So I'm not saying this like make people feel bad or anything like that. I'm just trying to give more context to how far treatment has come in respect to autism and help people to kind of like what you were saying before we started the podcast, like there's a right and a wrong way to help someone with autism. The right way is to do what you're saying with the socks. Like, Hey, let's try five minutes. Just put them on for five minutes and let's see what that's. It it might even be less. It might be even less than that. Depending on the individual sensitivity to it. Yeah. You know, you're just, we like to call it closing the loop. We're trying to get it done. So like, you know, for example, like, there are so many students, they might be at like refusal to do math because it's hard for them. So instead of being like, well, you're not leaving until you do this math, right? Okay, well, now you're creating an us versus them mentality, right? So instead, what I've learned that's been majorly successful in my 16 years of doing this is, hey, man, I know this is hard for you. Let's partner together, 
because you're, 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 you're ensuring them they're not alone in this. And that's the biggest issue I've seen with teachers is they created an us versus them mentality. That's you exactly have what I'm trying. That's what I was trying to you say. You have to establish yeah. rapport with your students because, you know, we talked about this uh, via Instagram was students could care less what we know. They don't care about our degrees or how much we know until they know how much we care. So and that's the biggest thing I will say to my success and doing this for so long is I've been able to build rapport with my clients and, and build that center of trust that they know that I'm sticking through this with them in the good moments and the bad moments. And there's no judgment. No. I mean – Because there's a lot of teachers or people who are like, I care, and then you are dysregulated and you can tell they're judging you. Oh, I mean, and I, like that yeah. is even worse because it's like you say you care, but then I'm dysregulated and you're upset by it. Right. And I, I've, I've, you know, the one thing I will say is in the 16 years, uh, besides now, is I was involved in a lot of uh, behavioral intervention stuff. So when certain students would become dysregulated to the point where they would become aggressive, I was called in to be support. And, you know, I've, I've, I've seen all sorts of behaviors and, and a lot of them have been really wild, I'll be honest. But at the end of the day, I would see that kid after the moment, you know, we let's say it's a moment, you know, like, hey, man, you know, I'll see you tomorrow. Big smile on my face. And they're like, wait, you're not mad? They're looking at me like, whoa, he's not mad. He doesn't, he's not judging me. He doesn't hate me. And, you know, he still loves me. Yeah. He doesn't think anything less of me. No, he's still like. Because of what happened. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, like, yeah, we had a challenging moment. It got really rough, but we worked through it. And we came out on the other side on a positive, you know, manner. So, you know, so you had now eight we can, hours now with we this kid and he move, had a hard 10 minutes. Now we can move on. I mean, even if a kid is having a hard day or a challenging moment that lasts the whole day, whatever, you know, at the end of the day, I'm still going to, if I, if I see that kid or that kid comes up to me and says, bye, I'm still, I'm going to be cool with him, you know? And I've seen teachers in the past hold grudges towards students. And I think in that moment, you need to separate yourself from what you're doing. Because if you're going to hold that resentment towards that student, you're going to be creating, again, that us versus them mentality. They're going to they're gonna know it, and you know it, and you're just not going to get anywhere. So now you've created this bad rapport with the student, and you're not going to get anywhere with them because they're not going to trust you. Because they're going to think in their head that, oh, you know, so-and-so hates me. So why should I, you know, do anything, do anything or listen? Well, you're hundred percent right. Cause that's exactly how it works for me. Yeah. You know, and the reason why I'm talking a lot about me is cause I'm trying to give context to people who are listening All right. as someone who has autism, yeah. basically confirming and relaying from my perspective, exactly what you're saying yeah. as being like, yes. And then giving some different examples and like, I mean, that's a hundred percent. I like, it's just crazy hearing you say the us versus them mentality thing. Cause that's a hundred percent how it's been my whole life. And something I didn't even realize until this podcast. Cause yeah, that's just, I, you know, it's hard. Cause I don't understand why people are like that, you know? And it's a power struggle. I think a lot of teachers, in their mind, like, I'm a teacher, which means I'm the adult. You have to listen and do what I say, which, yes, as That's a teacher, your students should respect you <laughs> and they should listen to you. But at the same time, though, you you want it to be a thing where the student wants to respect you. 
because you've created that rapport and they care about you as much as you care about them, you know, instead of this, well, I had to listen because they're the teacher. No, it's like, make it so that they want to listen, make it so that they want to do good because you've established again, this rapport. And that, again, I, I just keep going back to that because it's so important to being a good teacher, to being a good coach. You want to build rapport. Just honestly, being a good fucking person. Yeah. Just being a good person. And yes, it is very important for teachers because like you guys are the front line with the kids, especially kids who are neurodivergent. Like they need teachers who are the cream of the crop in terms of right. the people that are going to help them because it's not easy to help somebody who one minute you're having a nice lunch with and the next minute they're throwing it in your face saying they don't like you. Because they're dysregulated. Yeah. And I, I you mean, have to be able to not get mad at them and realize it's not personal. Yeah. And then still be there to care for them and get them through that. Right. And then the worst thing that you can do is hold a grudge after it's all over because they feel like shit that they just threw their food at you. Oh, yeah. Because after they return to homeostasis, I've had clients where at the end they're like, they feel so bad. They're crying. They're like, oh, my gosh, what did I do? I'm so sorry. And then that's where you have to reassure them. Like, hey, man. This is a tiny moment in your life, a tiny moment where things might have gotten a little out of hand, and that's okay. We got to learn from it so we can grow from this. So again, you're teaching, again, the more appropriate behavior too. So it's like, hey, man, look, you got upset because, you know, you were having a hard time with fractions, okay? So instead of getting upset, flipping our desk, screaming at our teacher, what can we do? We can ask for help. Um, take a walk. You know, we can if we you become frustrated, we can take a walk. Take a re we call it resets. Take a reset. Take uh, take a moment. Um, where I taught in Georgia was awesome. Again, uh, shout out the Jacobs Ladder Neurodevelopmental in uh, Roswell, Georgia, and Buckhead, Georgia. Um, they're doing. Uh, I, I love to use this term. They're doing God's work. They're incredible. You know, I said I worked there for three years, uh, and out of the sixteen years of doing this, I learned more in those three years than I did anywhere else. And, you know, like I said, we talked about, like, taking time and space, taking those resets. Um, you know, this campus, the Roswell location, is located in this, like, forest. So we had all these nature trails. It's beautiful. You could take the, you know, a trail walk if, you know, you need some movement or you're, like, becoming frustrated. Um, we also had hammocks all over the place. So, again, you know, if a kid needs a reset and just needs time and space, then go to the hammock. And um, they can get some, like, vestibular movement with the hammock. Or whatever they need, you know, this place really does set individuals that are neurodivergent up for success. And I've taken a lot of those things that I've learned from there and, again, applying it even to myself, <laughs> coming up with my own resets. Like, if, you know, if I'm becoming dysregulated myself, I'll tell my wife, hey, I'm in any time and space. I need to just separate myself from whatever this is and take a moment because if I keep being in this moment – I'm going to be becoming more upset and I'm going to do something or say something I'm going to feel bad for. So I just need to take a step back. And we call that thought stopping. You're stopping yourself in that moment, pulling yourself away from that situation and reassessing it. And then coming back into the situation, prepare to handle it. No, it makes total sense. And um, I'm just trying to form thoughts. <laughs> Yeah. No, I mean, self-regulation is like the number one thing for me. Pretty difficult, but um, 
do the best that I can. That's all we can do though. Yeah. That's, that's all we can do. It. I mean, anybody, I mean, even neurotypical, it's like, we, I mean, how many, I'm sure how many people have been driving in Florida and some jerk cuts them off. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's you know, that can become dysregulating for anybody. 100%. You know, and then you in that moment might have to use a self-regulation intervention strategy, whether it's taking deep breaths, I mean, or just like maybe even pulling off to the side of the road and kind of helping yourself get reacclimated because you might be shook and then be like, okay, I feel better. Now I can get back on the road. You know what I mean? With me, that stuff stays in my head for like minutes. Yeah. And, and not like – uh like the feeling stays, but like the replay of that scenario yeah. is on a loop in my brain for an extremely long time. So it's like, I'll calm down and then it'll loop and then I'll calm down in a loop and then I'll calm down in a loop and the sensory stressor will continue to bombard me for like up to 10 minutes sometimes after it happens. Yeah. That's where you just have to implement the thought stopping strategy. Like, hey, get the like pause. Hey, that was really challenging that moment, whatever it may be. But we're going to move on. And as hard as that is to do, perseveration. Yeah, you're perseverating on it. You have perseverative thought. I mean, but it, it it comes with I think a lot of like individuals with autism, ADHD. It could be. I mean, really, it could be any diagnosis. It could be ODD. It could be reactive attachment disorder, or AKA RAD. Um, it could be really any one of those diagnoses. You could have that perseveration. Uh, more so, you you see it a lot with kids with autism and ADHD. Um, because again, we, you know, we like routine, we like routine and uh, we'll perseverate on those things if something is, uh, you know, different. Yeah. And it's like, I, I agree. And like, uh, I, you've mentioned routine, like as someone with ADHD, how do you stick to routine? Cause that's, what's this hard struggle with me? Cause I have my ADHD is really bad. And so is my autism. And so yeah, I'm constantly at war with myself. Like I need the routine. I want the routine, but my ADHD is like, we've done this shit so many times, so many years, the same way it's boring and it means nothing. Right. Well, I mean, routine, like, so like as someone who has ADHD, what do you like, do you experience that at all? Do you experience like, you know, like the things are the same. And so you don't really get excited or you don't really want to do them because you've done them a hundred times. I don't get really restless like that, to be honest. I think that like, in terms of me and like routine, it's more like, okay, I, you know, how do you know how to describe it? Like, I, I just, that's why that's part of what I uh, thought would be cool about the podcast. Is yeah. Like talking about our own personal experiences, like with right how we're regulating and then obviously how we help other people regulate. Yeah. Like, so. I, I will say like, like one thing I've like, like routine is like when, you know, when I go to work, I know what I'm expected to do. Like the, Challenges may occur within that within the work day within the work day, but that's okay because I've I've trained myself enough to accept those challenges. It's more like for me when I taught in like Georgia, there would be days I come in and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna work with so and so, and then I get like a as soon as I'm pulling into the the parking lot, I get a phone call or a text, hey, you're gonna work with so and so today, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, I've never worked with this person. And that wasn't my plan. I, I thought wasn't it wasn't my plan. And yeah, yeah, and I, and that's something I had to really work on is accepting that and being flexible. Now, obviously, it, it, I don't have that, uh, you know, issue because, you know, I work for a private family now, so I don't really have that. Um, but there's been times, though, where I've had to step in uh, different for different situations, excuse me. 
And I've had to learn to accept that and be flexible because again, I think that with ADHD, you can become very rigid sometimes. Um, so that's why I mean like for routine, you know, like I know that like, or it's like, if I go to the gym, for example, talk about rigidity, I'm like, Hey, I'm supposed to bench today. And I go and there's a bunch of freaking, we're allowed to cuss on here. Hooligans. Yeah. We curse. Okay. Some fucking broccoli headed turds fucking on their fucking TikToks on, uh, their phones. And I need to bench. Taking and, 10 minutes between sets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And especially for me having, you know, orangutan arms, I can't bench on a commercial bench. Um, so I, I do a squat racks. But again, same scenario. You you have some freaking, you know, broccoli head turds taking up the space. And I'm like, okay, I need a bench. I need to train now. I have a whole routine I go through via my coach that I do before I bench. Because that just helps set me up for success. And I need a bench and there's these kids on there. So it's like, okay, this is, this is frustrating. It'd be frustrating for anybody to be honest. So then I have to take a step back and be like, okay, well, can't do this. And I'll let my coach know like, Hey, you know, freaking tourists taking up the bench or taking up the squat rack, whatever. I gotta, you know, reevaluate myself and, and change. Like even today, like I got up late, you know, house sitting, have to take care of the house, rolled to Asgard, and someone was on the bench. And I'm like, well, I have so much time because I got to make sure I'm here on time. So I'm like, well, what do I do? Okay. Well, he's, you know, working in with him will take too long. So I'm like, I got to change directives here, but still try to accomplish the goal of what my coach's program. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to one of the chest press machines. Instead of doing sets of what I think it was like four or six, uh, I'm going to do sets of 10, but I'm going to slow them suckers down to really stimulate the muscles get some good blood flow, really work on controlling my body and making that my muscle connection. So I'm still accomplishing the goal. It's just shifted. And for me, I'm also working on my own flexibility and be like, hey, man, truth of the day is you didn't get to bench because you got up late. Traffic was rough on 75. It happens. I can't change that. I can't change how people drive here in Florida. And, you know, I just need to be able to you know, move on with my day and, and still accomplish what I need to accomplish. It might have changed in some capacity, but I can still train. I can still do something. You know what I mean? So that to me, I guess, is like in terms of routine, what I like and, but also accepting that that routine or that your plans can change and we just have to yeah. be flexible with that. No, that makes, that makes sense. Thanks for explaining more like about what um, you were talking about in terms of like routine. Cause like, when I think about routine, I think about like, um, like the way I leave the house in the morning. So, oh yeah, I'm like sorry. I wake up. You know, today's a what's today? Wednesday. Mm -hmm. My alarm goes off at five thirty. Oh my gosh! I sit in bed for five minutes. My alarm goes off again at five thirty-five, and I sit in bed for those five minutes because, um, regardless of how excited I am for the day, every morning I wake up and that's when my autism and ADHD is the absolute worst. So like I'm experiencing sensory hell. I'm overstimulated. I'm anxious just opening my eyes because I've been sleeping all night and I haven't had any input. And so then I wake up and everything hits me all at one time. So I take five minutes to kind of regulate sit yourself. in bed. I do breathing. I 
talk to myself about what I'm about to do. Like in five minutes, you're yeah. going to get up, you're going to go to the bathroom. Then we're going to, you know, have a drink. Then you're going to have your banana. Then we're going to get to the shower. You're going to shower. When your shower is over, you're going to get dressed. You're going to pack your bag and then you're going to go to work. Yeah. And I just do that in my head. And then that's my routine. And every step of the way, I'm talking to myself about what the next steps are the whole time. Yeah. And so uh, that's why I was kind of asking you, like, you're, you know, for routine with you, like, yeah. what does that mean? Do you ever get bored and stuff like that? Cause like, that is what helps me to get out of the house. And like that routine, I don't ever get bored of, but yeah, like if I were to have the same exact workout regimen every day for months, no matter how much I love training, I will get bored and not like it anymore. Yeah. And so I need to build like, what is it called? Novelty. I need to build novelty mm -hmm. into my routines in order for me to stick to them. Yeah. Because the ADHD in me will get to the point where it's like, fuck this. It's boring. <laughs> I don't want to do it. I've done right. it 1700 times this way. Like I don't want to do it. And then I don't do it. And then my autism freaks out because now we're not in our routine. Yeah. And so that stepped out of that, that almost like comfort zone. And exactly. then it's like, Oh gosh. It's like, you're almost like in the middle of the ocean. You're like, Crap, what do I do? 100%. And so, that's what I meant. It's like, it's hard for me because, like, they're always at war with each other. And I always have to, I have yeah. to figure out, like, how, how do I appease both sides of this? Right. So I'm, so I am regulated and I'm still experiencing things in a, in a happy way. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, there's also, like I said, also things, you know, I mean, there's some people I know that, like, you know, they'll literally have a checklist, it could be on their phone. Like each morning I wake up and okay, I, you know, I brush my teeth. I, you know, click the bubble or whatever in your phone or some people might even be old school and have a laminated sheet of paper and they just check it off each thing, you know, and we have a lot, a lot of students that will have like a checklist to kind of help them, you I know, throughout the day. I mean, a schedule, like they'll have a schedule and they'll be like, okay, well today is, you know, it's reading and it's this. And, you know, it's funny talking about like routine, um, we, you know, we would have like, you know, fun days where I taught in the past and you would see more behaviors on those fun days than you would on the days that were like regularly structured because it's breaking the routine of what typically happens day by day. So even though it's a fun day, we would see so many behaviors happen just because you're stepping away from that typical, you know, day set. hundred percent. Like, cause like, that's supposed to be fun too. And it's like, Nope. <laughs> I know. And like, I struggle with that. Cause it's like, I want to have those weird fun days like that. But like, at least for me, the reason why that's hard is cause I need to know what to expect and how to act. And the routine helps me know helps you prepare how, to, day. how to be, yeah. how I need to act, what might happen, you know, at each part of the day. Sure. And if I don't have like all of those boxes lined up in the day, then I literally don't know how to be or what to do. Because right. it's not inherent in me. Like, yeah. I don't know. Like, I literally have no clue. And this happens sometimes at home, you know, when I'm home with my wife. Like, yeah. we'll be, you know, like, I'll be editing pictures on my iPad for, like, an hour. Yeah. I'll finish editing the pictures. And then I'm literally sit standing there having a panic attack. And I'm like, what do I do now? What's happening next? Like, I don't, what's going, because I, I, I just don't know what to do. Yeah. Because I just finished one thing. I'm home. Mm -hmm. It's in between dinner and bedtime. Yeah. There's like this two hour gap and I'm like, oh shit. Yeah. So let me ask you a question because I feel like, you know, I like to have the back and forth. Yeah. Um, does your wife help like 
keep you regulated? Um, in what ways? Well, I mean, if you're starting to become like dysregulated, like my wife knows when I'm becoming upset. She, and she's good about knowing what I need in that moment, whether it's like time and space or if it's just, uh, like, Hey, you know, like that, that reassurance of, Hey, you're okay. Everything's going to be fine. Take a step back, you know, or take, you know, take some deep breaths and let's move on. You know, is it, is she kind of help you in any of those kind of ways or? Yeah, no, good question. Um, so honestly, like not really. Um, and that's been a problem my entire life with my whole family too. Like, and that's what makes it hard for me because I get dysregulated and then people blame me, tell me I'm wrong, tell me that I'm the problem and I'm causing them to feel and think things. Mm. when I literally can't even think straight. And um, so that's part of why things are kind of a little bit more difficult because, you know, my wife's starting to learn more, right? Because like I was diagnosed in um, January of this year. Oh, wow. So, okay. So this is a fresh diagnosis. Yeah. So it's all still like new. And like I said, prior to January – I was told I was bipolar and on, you know, very high levels of anticonvulsants for a very long time. And I was never allowed to really experience anything because the medication stopped me from being able to like have any type of like really emotions, thoughts, or feelings. Right. And that's why it's like, it's hard for me to regulate because like I've Mm -hmm. never lived like this my whole life, even though I have lived like this forever. Yeah. It's like still all kind of new. And so in terms of like her helping me with self-regulation, you know, we're getting there. Yeah. The honestly, the hardest part about it is my inability to know what to do because of my diagnosis. I don't know why I feel the way I feel most of the time. I don't know what I need to do about it and I don't know how to communicate it. And so, right. You know, you're looking at your husband or, you know, your son And they're like losing their mind, rocking back and forth, you know, sweating, pacing the house. Um, You know, I'll, I'll, I'll tap my head every now and then too. Like things can get pretty bad. And I don't even know how to say what's happening because I don't even know why. Sometimes I don't even know why it's happening to begin with. Um, And so that's kind of the next phase of what I've been learning about Mm -hmm. is how to do that because the initial phase of my treatment was all identification. And so like, you know, the sunglasses helped me a shitload cause I'm very visually overstimulated easy, like lights really overstimulate me. And then just objects in general, like, and if you notice, like with talking with me and the time we've been talking, I don't really look at any one specific thing. I'm just kind of like not really looking at anything in general because Focusing on certain things for too long become overwhelming and dysregulating. And so I get like that. I'm constantly just scanning, you know, the environment, picking different things. So that way my brain doesn't get stuck and overstimulated looking at yeah. any one thing. Right. And so like, you know, that first course of treatment was let's identify what's causing you to be dysregulated mm-hmm. that's easily fixed. And so it's the sunglasses. And then it was, you know, the hat to cover the mm-hmm. uh, the lights from coming down over yeah. my head. And then uh, I wear earbuds all the time because 
um, sounds are extremely dysregulating to me. I'm extremely sensory sensitive, so I don't necessarily seek out senses because yeah, they're also overwhelming to me. Right. Um, and so really that was kind of the whole first course of treatment is like, you know, what do we need to do in order to help you to be more regulated on a daily basis? Sure. And then now it's turning into kind of what you're saying is like, how do we identify things that are causing you to dysregulate? How do you identify that you're dysregulated and how do you figure out what to do to yeah. move forward? And in terms of like, you're talking about your glasses, the earplugs, the one thing I would say, and again, this is just throwing this out there to you, is that you might want to start doing things where it's like maybe once a day you take off your glasses for a certain amount of time, like the socks and kind of just like, it's going to be hard, but you're just, you're, you're kind of slowly integrating, you know, a little bit less time with the glasses on. I'm not saying like, make it super hard. It could be even like, I don't know, like it'd be like five minutes a day, just it, it and I'm not talking and like at the house, well, you could do it at your house if you want to, and your house might be like the first step to becoming more comfortable there. Cause you know, you know it, where things are. So it might be a little less stressful for you, but then like, even if you're in this office right now, take them off for five minutes or it, it could be even less time. It just, it could be like your tolerance mm -hmm. and then, okay, cool. I did that for this long. And then next week or next day, I'm going to do it for maybe a little longer or as, as long as I can tolerate it or, or you could tolerate it, excuse me. Same with the earplugs. Pull them off for a little bit. And then in that moment too, it's like, oh gosh, I'm becoming a little overstimulated. So, and I, I understand that it's because I don't have my earplugs in. So in this moment right now, try and work on my breathing. So take some nice deep breaths, control my breathing, you know, try and ground myself. And, you know, just kind of accept that this is going to be a little challenging for a moment. And it's just a moment. And then when I feel ready, okay, put the earplugs back in. Cool. I made it this long. And just, again, slowly increase that increment of time as you feel more comfortable. Yeah. No, I mean, that that makes sense. And um, I do that with my glasses Yeah. Um, here at work. Like, I'll be working on my computer. I'll take them off for a while, yeah. you know, kind of do my thing. Um, I'm just, I'm extremely sound sensitive. Uh, yeah. And like, especially here, the more voices there are, the worse it is. Oh yeah. So like, you know, we'll have Dr. Mallory talking, Dr. Jimmy talking, both of their patients talking, Dr. Michael's on the phone and it's just, I, my brain can't filter it out. And so I yeah. hear everything all at once. And not only do I hear everything all at once, my brain is pulling up pictures and videos of what they're talking about. You're processing the everything they're saying. Yeah. All at the same time. And I'm living their life with them right. while sitting at my desk. And the sounds themselves are overstimulating. And so yeah. it's like, you know, this constant uh, struggle. But um, at home, because like you said, it's a familiar environment. Um, I generally don't wear my sunglasses when I'm at home. Like as soon as I walk in the door, I, I take them off right away. Main reason for that is because I have three dogs. <clears throat> they jump. They want to give kisses. And <laughs> yeah, that's that my dog the same way. Very happy. So yeah. I take them off. Um I do leave my earplugs in like honestly most of the day. Um main reason is because I do have three dogs. And so like they'll just start barking randomly at whatever's walking by. Yeah. And all three of them barking at one time. I can't focus. Like, well, that's a lot. It is for anybody, and dogs just barking and barking. 
you know, that can be overstimulating to anybody, you know? Yeah. A hundred becomes, it becomes a lot, you know, especially if you got a big dog like me, you know, my, my pit bull, when she barks, it's loud. <laughs> yeah. You got a female? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Cute. I have a girl and two boys. Yeah. She's, she's adorable. I'm eventually going to get her a friend, uh, probably a male pit bull. Uh, but she's actually very close to my parents' dog and they got this big giant Australian shepherd. And this, that's why I'm house sitting right now is take care of him. And he's just this, like I said, this big fluffy ball of love. Yeah. Very sweet dog. But Bella and Kobe, they're like best friends. So that's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, that all makes sense, man. <laughs> Where else do we go now? Well, um, we, we mentioned, uh, like when we were talking earlier, like the, you know, the adaptive strength program, and we were going to possibly dive into like the importance of like strength training to individuals that are neurodivergent and how that could be therapeutic, mm -hmm. how that can help. Um, we dive into that. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd absolutely love to. So, um, just finding words. Yeah. Um, so Alex has worked with people with autism and ADHD in the weight room setting before. Mm -hmm. Um, he shared with me that, um, when you have people who are, uh, who have autism, ADHD and are neurodivergent, you get them into a weight room, they're much more social, happy, and able to perform than if you were to have them all go to a room and like, you know, maybe play games or something. Oh yeah. Um, and so that's really cool. And I a hundred percent understand and agree with that because the, Jim is actually what taught me everything I know in terms of like social yeah. skills, as strange as it is. But from an autistic person's standpoint, the gym makes complete sense, right? You're mm -hmm. there for one purpose. That's to exercise. Oh, yeah. Everyone there is talking about one thing. That's to exercise. Yeah. There's a set of rules. There's a set of social norms. And they right. do not change no matter what gym you're at. It's always the same. Yeah. Absolutely. And the other thing too is like, you know, if you're going to become dysregulated or you're going to be, you know, become really upset in the gym, then, you know, you have to be safe in the gym. So if you're becoming dysregulated or you're, you know, messing around, you, you can't be in the gym, you know? And, you know, when I was coaching in Georgia, uh, you know, I had a great group of, uh, kids. They were awesome. All different, uh, diagnosis, uh, autism, uh, uh, ODD, um, RAD, and what is RAD? Reactive attachment disorder. Okay, I thought so. I just yeah, yeah. Um, you know, just multiple diagnosis, um, and then you know, with the the clients that were on the spectrum, I had some high functioning, you know, clients, and I had clients that were nonverbal. Actually, one uh, I just found out today, one of my old clients who's minimally verbal is now working with my friend Josh. And he runs uh, an adaptive strength program in Alpharetta, Georgia. It's called Big Dogs, I believe, Big Dog Barbell. And shout out to Josh Porter. I mean, dude's awesome. But yeah, one of my uh, you know clients is now working with him because when I left Georgia, unfortunately, the adaptive strength program that I was running stopped. They, I guess, couldn't find someone to continue it, um, which is really sad because it was awesome. And, you know, diving into that, you know, the kids I would work with in the classroom, I would see, and they wouldn't really talk with each other. Most of them, they, you know, there'd be kids in there. They wouldn't really talk with, but the moment they, you know, hit the weight room. Oh man, 
they were all like supporting each other. They're loading the barbell for each other. They're spotting each other. It's awesome. We've created this community of individuals who typically wouldn't talk with each other, but in the weight room, it's this like brotherhood. And it was amazing to see that. And I think what was awesome too was it was a major self-esteem booster for a lot of them because a lot of them would come in and be like, I can't do this weight. I'm like, well, we'll see where we're at. Let's start somewhere and then let's work up to wherever. You do something. Oh, I, I, had, I had one uh, client. He he could barely deadlift 155. But within uh, two months, he went from 155 deadlift to like a 275. And he nice. weighs like 130 pounds. Like tiny, tiny guy. But, you know, he just really didn't have a lot of self-confidence. And then as we just started training and he just was super in tune with what I would say, he would take everything to heart and would just be like, okay, I'm going to apply it. I'm like, Hey man, when we pull, let's try to keep the chest up. You know, we want to make sure that we're not getting a cat back when we deadlift. Okay. And then he would just fine tune these things mechanically, just really taking everything in, I would say. And then boom, it would just come together with a lot of these kids. And, you know, we did a uh, big deadlift end of the year thing uh, right before actually I moved to Florida and all the parents came to watch the entire campus came to watch. And it was phenomenal. Like parents were like crying as they're watching their kids do this feats of strength. And they're like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe my son is doing this. And it was so fun that <laughs> the neighbors, I guess were complaining about the noise and they called the police and we luckily finished the event in time. But at one point, like one of the directors was like, Hey, we got to stop now because they're calling the police. The police are going to be coming to like shut this down. But like I said, luckily we finished right in time as one of the directors was coming up. It's like, Hey, we got to be done now. I'm like, Hey, we're, good thing we are done. So. <laughs> but you know, I, I just think that it's just a great thing for um, individuals that are neurodivergent is being in the weight room because, you know, it helps you kind of filter out a lot of the things that might be in your head because, you know, like anybody, if you're thinking about, X, Y, Z, and not the weight that's on your back, are you truly going to be as successful in moving that weight? So with a lot of these individuals I'm working with, it's more like, hey, man, we're here to work. Let's work. This is supposed to be fun, but we're here to work. So we're not. My phrase is always um, <laughs> out of the mind and into the body. I like that. That's what I tell myself, yeah. like my whole session. Just get out of your mind. You're in your body right now. It's what you're focusing on. You're yeah. moving. You're doing your thing, and when it's over with, you can think about as much as you want right. <laughs> and be right. stuck in your head as long as you want to be. Yeah, yeah, and you know, like I said, these, you know, these kids—they were—they're were incredible, and you know, it was awesome as that. Like they just—you would see the improvements, you would see them be more confident in themselves, um, and it was great. And then what was even better is you start to see them passing on the knowledge to uh, newer lifters that were coming into the program. So I'm like, I would say, you know, hey, uh, so-and-so, take whoever and uh, start warming up with single leg step downs. Or, hey, uh, can you help them do uh, rear elevated split squats and show them how it's done? So then you're just passing on this knowledge and it's, it's great. And, uh, you know, like I said, like watching them lift, watching them be so excited in their accomplishments, that's why I do what I do. And, and truth be told is, you know, I've always been an advocate for the underdog because I am the underdog. I've always been the underdog. I've always been that that kid that I felt like was misunderstood and not understood. You know, 
very much like Frankenstein, you know, mm-hmm. I felt like no one understood who I was and I've always been the underdog. So that's why I'm so passionate about working with individuals that are neurodivergent because it, they are the underdogs and a lot of them are taken serious and I want to be that voice for them. Uh, I want to be able to advocate for them and help them be successful in life, whether it's in the room or excuse me, the weight room, or if it's maybe building a relationship with somebody, or if it's uh, getting a job somewhere, you know what I mean? Or just helping them make it through the day without becoming dysregulated. Mm-hmm. I want to be that person that helps guide them to that success. Oh, it makes sense. And I really like that. Um, that's why I'm excited for what we're trying to do with putting together another strength competition ah, yeah. or <laughs> training clinic. Um, for people with autism, ADHD, and who are neurodivergent. Um, yeah, it, it could be both, honestly. So, like, you know, since we're diving into that, um, when I lived in Florida from, like, 2018, 2019, I worked at this place called the Haven Academy here in Sarasota. Uh, and uh, they were doing a giant autism awareness uh, event to raise money for the school. Um, and then I was told, hey – why don't you like get some of your like powerlifting buddies or strongman friends and let's do like a, a strength expo or something like an expert or whatever, just a showcase. And, uh, you know, and then the money we raised from that, we could put towards, uh, your classroom so we could get supplies and stuff. So I'm like, okay. Um, so I started kind of, you know, getting everything, you know, organized with that. And, uh, ended up being a really awesome event and apparently verbatim not not me saying this but someone said it was the most popular event at the festival i mean like there there are people just flocking over watching all of us deadlift because that's all we did we just did we just deadlifted and it was awesome um and i saw the success with that and what was even cooler was a lot of the clients got to watch all of us lifting in fact one of my students who i taught participated and then after that he ended up actually wanting to compete so he actually a couple months later competed in an rps meet in naples and set um multiple state records for uh, his deadlift and uh, at the time he was 15 years old high functioning autism but what makes him unique is that he has scoliosis and his spine literally looks like an s and he was also missing like three ribs and stuff. So a lot of factors there, but still managed to set state records. And I know that most powerlifters listening to this are like, who cares about state record? But for a kid with autism, that's that says something, you know? Like they did something that not a lot of people can do. Mm-hmm. Even being neurotypical, most people could probably not do what this kid did. So, you know, it's pretty awesome to see that. So, you know, yeah, like, you know, Fast forward to now, you know, I've been wanting to do this for a while. I was going to try and do it in Georgia, but it just didn't pan out because um, too much red tape to go through, too much little things here and there. And then the people that I wanted to do it with, um, one of the gyms were like, oh, well, we're not going to let you use our equipment. Well, then what's the point of me working with you then? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So fast forward to now, I've been, you know, this has been on my mind for so long since moving back to Florida. Um, but luckily, you know, I train with such amazing people like Bryce 
at Asgard to where I proposed this idea to him about, hey, man, do you want to help me put this on? And he's like, yeah, you know, we'll, 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 we'll iron out the details with my dad. And then you, you and I have talked about it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's now in the works. Um, still looking into trying to figure out who the, the funds are going to go to, where I'm going to donate to. There's a couple of foundations I'm looking at. Uh, one in particular is I think called Tampa Bay Letterboard Society. Um, and I think it's a, a bunch of individuals that use a letterboard to communicate, um, and uh, I want to give that money to them so they can use it towards going out into the community so that these parents are paying out of pocket. Or, uh, you know, like I said, there's a couple other foundations I'm looking at. Uh, but the big thing is just spreading awareness, but creating an event for individuals um, to really see this culture and maybe even become interested in the culture and wanting to participate themselves. Mm-hmm. 100%. Bring people together. Helping them feel better and maybe helping them find a new special interest. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) And what's cool is like, you know, I've even talked with um, my friend Rob, who owns a restaurant in Sarasota called Casa Masa. Um, Amazing taco place. So if you're in Sarasota and you want to have the best tacos you will ever probably eat, you need to go to Casa Masa. Like, fantastic. Even if you're in Bradenton. These surrounding areas. You could live in Tampa for all I care. Go for it. Go to Casa Masa. Yeah. But uh, Rob has offered to cater the event. I'm going to look into other, you know, vendors and stuff. I want to make it like a pretty big event. Um, and I want it to be fun, you know. And I also, the biggest thing for me is making sure the money goes to, again, the right foundation um, and the right people. Because at the end of the day, this is, you know, it's a charity event. It's not something that. Yeah. Money needs to get used from. the right way. Yeah. No, that's awesome, man. I'm looking forward to, um, you know, seeing what happens with the event, you know, where it goes. Yeah. uh, Watching your continued progress, um, all that stuff. Do you have anything else that you'd like to um, mention or chat about on the podcast before we wrap up? Oh, man. Um, Question for me or question for you. I'm just saying anything. I'll give you I'll give you a question. All right. It's completely off topic, but it's it's, it's just always fun to talk about. Um, what is your Mount Rushmore of fast food restaurants? Good question. Uh, yeah, so, well, so, so I wasn't sure I was going to throw this at you because you know you know how you know in our field we we eat we try to eat pretty good, yeah. but there's sometimes where we break and we got to eat some fast food. I don't know if you you see my post I made today. Not sure. No, it's okay that you didn't. It's just funny you asked me that because on I I did like a uh, picture from 2022 and 2023. Oh, I saw that. Like, yeah, yeah, I saw that. Like and in the caption, I said like you know I eat pizza, burgers, like all that shit too, like weekly. Yeah. Um. So I don't. It's hard. So I don't. I don't really like fast food per se because like McDonald's and that kind of stuff's gross to me. Yeah. Um. But if I had to pick like us. Uh, like special food, it would be cheese, like a bacon cheeseburger. That's oh, always yeah. been like my go-to favorite self-regulating food. Oh, yeah. Like if I'm having a hard day or like I'm dysregulated, it will actually regulate me as odd as that is. And it's not because it's like, you know, bad food. It's just, it's my comfort thing. You yeah. know, I've been eating them since I was like six years old. I, I remember like the first time I had one, we were with my family going to Disney. And, um, 
we were at Disney all week and, uh, you know, I got to order my own food for the first time. And so I'm like looking through the menu and I get a bacon cheeseburger. I freaking eat this thing. And then I literally ate a bacon cheeseburger for three meals a day for the whole two weeks we were at Disney. And then when we got home, I wasn't allowed to have them anymore because <laughs> I ate them too much. But that's where, you know, that's kind of where my love of uh, bacon cheeseburgers came from. And it's honestly just stuck. So bacon cheeseburgers are my favorite. If, and I can't pick a favorite burger place because they all taste different, and I all I like them for different reasons. Right. So, I'd say Five Guys is really? up there. The Cadillac of fast food restaurants. Literally, to eat at Five Guys, I feel like it's probably cheaper to pay your mortgage on your house <laughs> because it's so expensive. It is. It's a good burger though, you know, because like I don't, I can. I'm weird with texture. So like, that's why I don't like McDonald's or fast food burgers. Well, those are, I, I, I don't even know, you know, it's funny with my favorite podcast, uh, hard lore. Uh, they are hardcore McDonald's advocates. I, I don't think in my whole life I've ever had a McDonald's cheeseburger in my whole life. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, at least I, as far as I can remember, I've never had, one. but man, you talking about like bacon cheeseburgers yesterday. I, it was like a cheat day for me just because my schedule was all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's something else I will tell you that like with me routine is I like to eat, make sure I'm eating my, my meals because again, that helps me with my progress and my own goals. But when that gets shifted, that can become uh, real stressful. But talking about bacon cheeseburgers yesterday, I just ate nothing but Culver's and it was like triple butter burger with bacon, cheese, pickles, and onions. Like, man, you went for it. Oh, full send. Well, that's what I say. If you're going to go for it, go for it. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I love Culver's, Shake Shack. Like, Culver's, Shake Shack. Those are up from my, my Mount Rushmore. Uh, Taco Bell, of course. You cannot go wrong with Taco Bell. Like, you can make it healthy, agree. too. You I can agree Taco Bell's pretty good. I haven't had it in a long time. Oh, man. It's whew, Taco Bell. Well, it's also open late. And when you live in Sarasota, everything closes early because, you know, the, everyone's old. Uh, and then uh, – what else? I mean, five guys. Oh no, not five guys. Five guys is not on my Mount Rushmore. Uh, I need one more. I was thinking about this earlier today, and oh man, type of food. Uh, I mean, I, I did the two burger places, so like Shake Shack, Culver's, Taco Bell. Um, Chipotle was in my Mount Rushmore for years, but the service at Chipotle has gotten so bad. Honestly, so is the quality of the food. I just, it's, they don't care. They don't yeah. care anymore. They don't give a shit. It's like, what the hell? Like, it used to be like the freaking mecca of like, ex- or accelerated cuisine. And now you're just, you just drop down. And it's yep. just, I mean. Honestly, Urban Taco. I've never had Urban Taco. I've had like Del Taco and stuff like that. Yeah. And- so it's the only reason I mentioned it, it's basically Chipotle, but they call it, it's called Urban Taco. And they're what Chipotle used to be. Okay, because there's a bunch of places like that. There's uh, what's it called? Um, uh, Tijuana Flats here in Florida. Um, there's like there's a, there's a place called Fuzzies, which is like located on University Bill or University, whatever street. I almost said Town Center, but it's like it's over there. But uh, I mean, yeah, but like Chipotle just sucks now. Um, I, I will always forever have a soft spot for Wendy's because I'm originally from Columbus, Ohio. And, you know, Dave Thomas is from Columbus. The first Wendy's is in downtown Columbus, or it used to be. I think they actually finally got rid of it uh, years ago. But, yeah, like – but, again, like like you said, like McDonald's and stuff like that, Burger King, 
I, I can't, I can't do it. But like those higher end fast food places like Culver, Shake Shack. Yeah. Like those I'm full set and like. You go for it. I well, dig it, man. Well, I spend way too much money. I end up spending like, especially Taco Bell. Like, I'll order all these things, and I look at my. It's like, oh, you spend thirty, forty dollars. I'm like, shoot. I remember when this was a whole lot cheaper. It was like twenty bucks for all. Oh yeah, 100%. you just you go there at like two in the morning, you know, after a fun night, and then it's like, oh crap. Now it's like spending double that. It is. Um, good conversation, man. Any last uh, bit of wisdom or anything like that that you want to? give to our listeners before we wrap up the biggest thing and I, I don't know if i mentioned this or not because we've just had this like really fluid conversation is and you'll agree with this is that don't ever assume that someone with autism lacks intelligence because that's the biggest misconception with autism is that people assume oh they're not smart and that, and they assume this because maybe they don't have the verbal output that you or I have. So they instantly go to, they're probably not going to understand me, which is completely false. They understand every word you're saying. They might not be able to convey the appropriate response, but they know what you're saying. And they have feelings, emotions like anybody else does. So I guess my big thing is when you see an individual that has autism, and maybe they're doing something that is unexpected and it's not something you typically see. Like, don't stare. Like, maybe they're having a challenging moment or they're dysregulated. You know, understand that it's just a moment and it doesn't take away from the fact they have a heart and a soul and that they have something, you know, so special to give to the world in some capacity. And uh, just that, you know, don't, don't sell them short. Because they will surprise you. And, you know, some of the best conversations I've ever had with kids and adults uh, were from individuals that were nonverbal. And uh, people probably are wondering, what do you mean by that? And a lot of individuals that are nonverbal, that are on the spectrum, uh, have a different way to communicate. So whether it be um, a device that helps them communicate or a letter board, which is a, a low-tech uh device they use. But again, I've had amazing conversations with these individuals and uh, they've got as much heart and compassion as anybody else. So don't ever sell them short. I guess the one or the two part of the things I would give, which is in line with what you're saying. First one is autism doesn't have a look. So <laughs> it's, got, you know, it's got, it's a spectrum. <laughs> it's a very big spectrum. <laughs> We all look, behave, act, feel different. Absolutely. Um, I've run into that a few times, you know, when people, like it happened yesterday um, at the dog park and this shit annoys me, but I, like, I don't take offense to it. It's just annoying to deal with because I'm at the dog park. I have my earplugs in sure. and, you know, dude's like, what are you wearing earplugs for? I'm like, oh, I'm sensitive to sound. You know, I, I just need my earplugs so that way I don't, um, you know, hear as much. I actually so, would have been more of a dick about it. I said, don't worry about it. I would have been a dick about it. I would like, don't I, worry about it. I need to start being that way, but I'm just so nice. So, and, and the autism's like, you're asking me a question. I want to give you facts. And so I'm like, yeah, I'm just wearing them. And then he's like, oh, you must have been in, in like war or something. I'm like, no, no, I'm not. And he's like, well, what, why do you need them? I'm like, well, I, I actually have autism and they help me, you know, with my sensory problems. And he's like, well, you don't look autistic. And I'm like, all right, well, cool. 
Like, why are you, you asked me about my fucking earplugs. <laughs> I gave you the answer. And now you're telling me that I don't look well, like I should have them. There's a lot of people out there that have autism that people don't know have autism. Like, like obviously like Tom Stoltman, you know, two-time world's strongest man. He's very open about having autism and, uh, you know, and everything that he's kind of been through to help get him where he is. But, you know, Dan Aykroyd has autism. Yep. Um, Seinfeld. What's, what's, uh, what's her name? Really a, a beautiful blonde woman. She was in the movie Splash with Tom Hanks. Uh, can't think of her name. I can see the picture of what she looks yeah, like. Yeah, she has autism. Uh, the guy from Full Metal Jacket that goes crazy. Uh, but like, was it named like Gomer Pyle? Whatever mm-hmm. her name was. Is that, I'm probably getting that name wrong. But anyways, the guy that goes crazy in Full Metal Jacket in like the very beginning of the movie, that actor has autism. So there's a lot of individuals out there in the world that have autism that are living amazing lives. Well, like you said, it doesn't have a face. It doesn't have a look. Not every person with autism is going to be like, you know, might be like stemming and, and jumping around or whatever. You know, it has many different Wearing looks pajamas. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like it's. It's, it's all that infantilism. It's not just one thing, you know. It's just like I said, it's a it's a spectrum. There's just so many different degrees of it, and but regardless whether they're more severely on the spectrum or they're Asperger syndrome, you know, don't sell them don't sell them short. You know, like treat them with the same respect you would treat anybody else. And that's why I said I, I fucking pisses me off when people go up to the, a lot of nonverbal clients or lower functioning clients and they're like talking like they're babies it's like they're you know adults or they're they're teenagers treat them like their age we might need some extra explanation but we're not dumb yeah it's like but you can just break it down the language it's all about breaking down the language so it's understandable and then you're conveying exactly what you mean to convey yes that's that's what it comes down to and like i said i just think there's more things that we can learn about autism and, you know, again, that's my goal is what I do is to try to relay that information to help people understand better. You know, like I said, biggest pet peeve is when I was taking my client to EOS and they come up to him and they talk to him like he's a baby or they would talk to me and not talk to him. And he's listening. And he's just looking at me like, what's going on here, bro? Like, why don't you, why don't you ask yeah. me? No, hundred <laughs> percent. The last thing that I'll leave people with is be more accepting. Because at least for me, you know, and my experience with it, people with autism, we accept, change, modify a lot of things that we say and do, not because we understand it or because we agree, but because it's what society has deemed is correct. And so be mindful because be mindful. That's the big altering ourselves on a daily basis to fit into a society that we don't understand. And so it would behoove you to have some compassion and understanding. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think the whole world itself needs to work on having more empathy in general, in general, as a whole, I just think, especially the way our world is right now, we're so divided, but just working on being more empathetic in general. And, um, you know, uh, another person I want to shout out is my friend, James, um, he is one of the nicest people ever. And he actually volunteers at, um, uh, I think like a, another adaptive strength facility in Tampa. 
And uh, he volunteers his time to help out there. And he's a big time powerlifter in Tampa. He, uh, I can't think of his last name on top of my head, but huge dude. Uh, one of the nicest people I've ever met in my whole life. And actually, he gave my client, Trace, who set those state records, a pair of those, uh, what's it called? Um, those like, oh, shoot, uh, notorious lift shoes when they were just coming out. Mm-hmm. He's like, hey, uh, you know, he needs a pair of like lifting shoes. Uh, what size do you wear? And he literally went and bought him a pair of those shoes and sent them to him. That's cool. So we could have them. Yeah. I mean, again, like, I think we need more people like that. And hopefully this podcast starts to kind of open the eyes to people and maybe, you know, gets them excited to learn more about what autism is or what being neurodivergent is. And then, you know, individuals with maybe with ADHD, maybe this brings some clarity to what they can do to help set themselves up for success. Because, you know, at the end of the day, we're just trying to make it through day by day. And if there's something out there that can help us regulate ourselves or just help make life easier, why not take advantage of that? You know, totally, man. Really good episode. Thanks for, um, hopping on and I look forward to continuing to keep touch and, uh, you know, few, ah, future episodes as well. Oh yeah. I, I think, I think another episode, you diving even deeper to some of the stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm excited to continue to build this relationship that we have, um, and just make some really awesome things happen. Agreed, man. Thanks again, Alex. And uh, everyone listening, thanks for tuning in. We look forward to hearing you back uh, or having you back on the next episode. Hey, real quick, before you go, I just wanted to say thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share with others by taking a screenshot of this episode and posting it to your story on Instagram by tagging at Tideline Sports Performance so we can repost it. And to stay up on all the latest from us, make sure you follow at Tideline Sports Performance on Instagram and Facebook. And of course, make sure you like and subscribe to this podcast. All right, guys, catch you next episode.